Anyway, so that's right after the service. Sue is in Los Angeles, and I had to get up at 3 o'clock yesterday morning because they got a screaming deal uh, for Alaska Airlines to fly round trip for 110 bucks. All you had to do was leave in the middle of the night. Anyway, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's 5 in the morning. I had to get up at 3 and go pick up Nally and Leslie, three grandkids with Sue, get them to the airport. And if I was a teenager or a young adult, I'd be able to go right back to sleep. But, you know, when old people, you just don't go back to sleep, do you? When you wake up, you know... It's like you have to go to the bathroom at night. You always do it in 20 seconds because you just don't want to have to stay awake. <laughs> this is kind of messed up my whole rest of the day. I just was off kilt. I, I was in public. I had a lot of weird situations. I was at Costco, and I parked at the back of the parking lot so I could walk and burn calories. And this lady says, do you want a grocery cart? Because she just unloaded her car. And I thought I said a nice thing. I said, sure, I'll, I'll take that back for you. And she goes, I didn't ask you to take it back for me. I asked you, do you want a grocery cart to use? <laughs> well, I, sorry. I, that too, that too. <laughs> then I had to go meet a, a missionary at a restaurant in Cascadia Station, and uh, I, I got there a little early, and so I ran into Starbucks. I always love to catch 30 minutes to study, and I had to get some things done on my sermon today, so... I get my coffee, lay up my, my iPad, my notes. I'm, I'm starting to work. And this guy on the table across from me, he was like the nicest dressed homeless guy you've ever met. I mean, he looked sharp. The guy looked like GQ sharp. I could tell you had sleeping bags there and stuff. And, you know, just everything probably wasn't, elevator probably didn't go all the way up. You know, lights were on, but no one's home. You know what I'm saying? And uh, he says, man, I really like your shirt. Oh, well, thank you. I had a kind of a baseball jersey shirt on. I said, yeah, well, thank you. You're very humble. Well, thank you very much. I don't, I don't think I really am, but thank you. You know, so he's wanting to get this conversation, but I, I got 30 minutes to study, buddy. And I, well, why don't you witness to him? Because I'm a Pharisee and I want to study, okay? I, I want to study. I want to study. So I get back my notes and, right, I look at my watch. Oh, I got three minutes to get up, walk over to the restaurant. And I, I start packing my bag up and he's talking to one of the workers who's sweeping and cleaning tables. And, and I, I look up, he goes, What's wrong? You don't like me talking to people? No, no, no. I have to go meet somewhere else. Oh, I, I see your body language. No, I see your body language. You don't want to be around me. I'm thinking, this is just not my day. <laughs> this is, I should just go to bed, even if I don't fall asleep, pull the sheets over me, and just lay there the rest of the day, just because I'm doing something wrong. But anyway, we're here. And welcome to City Harvest Church. This is your first time with us, or... You haven't been around for a while. It's great to have you. We're on a series that we're calling Therefore. Therefore, this series is about the return of Christ, or what we call the second coming of Christ, Christ coming to Jesus Christ, coming back to the earth a, a second time. And we're titling it Therefore. Therefore means as a result. As a result of specific truths about the second coming, we believe certain faith actions, certain, certain attitudes need to be possessed, the way we approach life as a result of that reality. So we talked first about knowing him, having a relationship with him. If he, we're going to meet him, we better what? We better know him. And we dealt with the scary scripture, you know, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you out of Matthew 7. And what that really meant, so again, give some assurance that you really do have a relationship with Jesus. Right. You know, God wants you to have assurance. Everyone say the word assurance. assurance. You know that song, Blessed Assurance? You know why they sang that song and wrote that song? Because we're supposed to have a blessed assurance. Yeah. No doubts, no fears. 
We have, the, we have the experience of being adopted as sons and adopted as daughters, and we need to live, live in that security, but we do need to have a relationship with them. And then we talked about that this is not some dystopic, you know, end of the world tear for us because we've been delivered or saved from wrath. Therefore, the second coming is our blessed hope. We have... We eagerly wait with anticipation the second coming because there's all sorts of goodies that are coming, all sorts of great benefits. Heaven is coming to us, a new heaven, a new earth, and a new body. And all those who have arthritic pain can say amen to that. Amen. And so we we talked about today we're going to be talking about, therefore, draw closer. Draw closer to what? Draw closer to the Holy Spirit. Now, the question might arise in your, your mind, draw closer to the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit have to do with the return of Christ? Well, glad you asked that question. <laughs> Sitting there, I didn't ask that question. Yes, you did. <laughs> and that is this, is that it has a lot to do with the second coming of Jesus, and we're going we're gonna to look at that today. We're going to tie some things together. It's really important to me as a pastor that as believers in Christ, you walk around with the big picture, because a lot of times we only kind of see the small picture that has to do with Jesus and us. You're, you're a part of a big plan. You're a part of a, of a continual work in church history. You're, you're part of an eternal program. You're, you're, you're like the, pe- how many people do puzzles at holiday season, like those thousand piece, hundred piece puzzles? Anybody do that? Mark, you do, great. Peter does, Janet. All right, few more, few more, okay. You're sick. <laughs> you really are, right? You're sick. I can do like a 15 piece puzzle, real big ones with my grandkids and... I'm enjoying those, okay? But I, I don't do well with those little pieces. But what, what you do, you got the box up, and you look at that little piece, you see the picture in the box, you're trying to figure out what this little weird-shaped piece that's green, you know, where it fits in that picture. But you're that little piece, and you have a, you have a place in the overall big picture of what God's doing. And it's really important to have the big picture in mind. You know, Dick Iverson used to tell us it'd be like being put as a as a goalie uh, in soccer, and you don't really understand anything about the game of soccer. You just sit here, and you're just going to stand here, just try not to let the ball, you know, go behind you. And all of a sudden, guys are kicking and sliding and throwing stuff at you, and no ways. And what's going on here? Because you don't understand the game, you don't quite know what what. What, how this all fits and what you're doing. And so it's uh, very important that we have the big picture in mind. Let's look at some scriptures here. First, I myself did not know him. This is John the Baptist speaking. He says, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit And I have seen and have borne witness that he is the Son of God. As as followers of Jesus, we we tend to see the mission of Jesus is just in his humiliation, coming to be one of us, living a perfect life, but carrying our sins upon himself and taking the punishment for us on the cross. And in that, securing our salvation. And then he rises from the dead, goes to heaven, and he's done. He just sits down next to the right hand of the Father, kicks his feet back. I've run my race. But Jesus is not done ministering. He's now in heaven. Theologians call this the session. 
He's next to the right hand of God, which is the place of favor. You know, that, that's a concept back in those days with kings and, 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 and those types of dignitaries. You're at their right hand. You're at a place of, of favor. <clears throat> and he's there, one, right now, presently interceding for you and interceding for me. He's, he's representing us. He's presenting his blood to the Father. He's presenting his sacrifice to him. He's, he's, he's somehow in the cooperation of our prayers interceding for us to the Father. Some of you came from backgrounds where you had to have a, a priest between you and God. Well, you don't have an earthly priest. Well, actually, you have a God-man priest. His name is Jesus, and he actually does represent you to, to God the Father. And so we have, we have that going on, and he has a ministry going on. But other than that, he has this other, other than that, he has this other ministry called he is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. When John's identifying Jesus, he says he's not just the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and John said that. Now, I didn't know what the Lamb of God was when I was first a Christian. I used to hear that, and I didn't know what it meant, but it sounded so cool, like the Lamb of God. That sounds so, I get goosebumps when I hear that. What does that mean? It goes back to the Old Testament sacrifices where they offered up a lamb on Passover to save the nation. Okay, the blood was shed to deliver Israel. And so he is now the true lamb of God. It pointed to Jesus dying for us. But he, John also says, and he is the one who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We don't kind of talk about that. Jesus the baptizer. We talk about Jesus the Savior, but Jesus is the one who fills us with the Spirit of God. Now, if you were a, a Jew prior to the time of the New Testament and, uh, and you are looking forward to the Messiah coming, one of the things it will be with that expectation of the Messiah coming is that Messiah was going to restore to Israel the great presence of God, what they call the Shekinah. It's what in the Hebrew is the Kabbah, the, the visible, the visible, tangible presence of God that dwelt with Israel in its earliest history, that God is going to return that. And so Jesus says to the disciples at the end of his ministry in, in Luke, he says this, and, and, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now Jesus said, I want you to go, but I want you to wait. <clears throat> go wait. It's the go wait command. You're going to go, go to the nations, go to the uttermost part of the world, but wait, you need to receive something. You need to receive the ability of God to fulfill what I've told you to do. Don't you think it's important that we have God's ability to fulfill his will? Amen? If I just, we were the, what would we be like if we were the only church in the world? Just us. Just a little city harvest church, 800,000 people, and God lays on us 266 nations Okay, on our budget, <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and we don't have any missionaries. You are the missionaries. We, we don't hook up with an agency. There are no agencies. There, we don't join partners with other churches. We are the church. We would need some heaven help, wouldn't we? Right. This is what they were. They needed some heaven help. But he says the promise of the Father is going to come upon you. The promise, something God promised in the Old Testament. So what happened? We have the Acts 2 story. And the Holy Spirit falls upon the first 120 believers in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. And a crowd just by of thousands most likely gathered to where they were. And Peter preaches his famous message. They come out of that room and 
you know, they're speaking in other languages. And they're not just speaking in other languages, but they're speaking in other languages that these pilgrims, these Jewish pilgrims from all over the Roman Empire, who were probably bi and trilingual, if not more, heard them speaking in the, the, the tongue of the nation they came from, declaring the wonderful works of God. And they're like puzzled. They actually accused them of being drunk. Peter says, it's not drunk. We're not drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. It's only 9 in the morning. Okay, we're not drunk. So we know this came in the morning. It was a morning visitation. And Peter is preaching this great message. And he quotes from the Old Testament prophet Joel, who said, God is going to do something in the age of the Messiah. And he says, in the last days, it shall be, God declares, come on, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everyone say all. That's all nations. I mean, I mean, sometimes we get really on bandwagons. We're like going to go after North Korea, and we don't know what's going on. We need to be praying. But you know what? God even has a plan for North Korea. Do you believe that? Right. There's, there's actually believers in North Korea. Yeah. There's always a remnant. God always has a witness, okay? Right. God can turn situations around. Look what's happening in China. God is doing wonderful work that's like off the chart. You wouldn't even believe the reports that come out of China. And I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Notice this, prophecy, visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So if you're starting to dream, you know what category you're in. <laughs> Be encouraged. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. They shall speak messages from heaven, we heard Janet today share a word of, 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 of that God wants to, is doing something, preparing the Northwest for a visitation of the Spirit. Come on, Portland's weird, Vancouver's getting weird, but God can make us weird for Jesus, amen? Come on, we can be known for something else. We can have a new Portlandia show going on, but it's Portlandia for Jesus. And, uh, we don't have to be weirdos, you know, looking around after weird, strange things. We can actually be touched radically by the Spirit of God. The Acts 2 story of God pouring out his spirit on, uh, on the first believers is the fulfillment of the promise of God bringing his presence back to his people. Imagine what it would be like. I used to have a picture in my office. I think it's in one of our side offices. It was given me by a pastor in Mexico City. But it shows the camp of Israel in the wilderness journey. And in this camp was the, temp the tent temple called the Tabernacle of Moses. It was a temple. It was made out of you know, different hides and stuff like that. Wayman, he made a replica when you were in Bible college. It was famous. It was up there in PBC when I was going. It was kind of falling apart, but it was there. Anyway, but it was this tent in the middle of the camp. And, the, and in that camp, the fire manifestation of fire, the presence of God, basically heated them up and warmed them up in the cold desert at night. And in the day, they were covered by a cloud over this tabernacle. 40 years in the wilderness journey. They saw the physical presence of God for that 40 years in the wilderness journey. Now, so would you say if that were your experience with the presence of God, that anything less would just kind of be, nah, that's all right. I mean, they had a, a visitation with the very presence of God. There was a glory going on. Yeah. When they dedicated Solomon's temple, a cloud came in. The priests couldn't even play their instruments. They couldn't even raise their voices. They, they had to kind of bow out. They couldn't even handle the physical presence of God. God was returning back to his people the lost presence. What happened when Jesus dies on the cross? The veil was split in two, okay, to the Holy of Holies where the presence dwelt. God was saying, I'm not hanging out here anymore. 
I got a new temple. You. Say to the person next to you, you're a temple. You're a temple individually and together, and together, you are the temple of God. This is exciting stuff, isn't it? I'm excited. All right. Now, let's go on to another verse here. Paul goes to say this in Romans chapter 8. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, what's first fruits? In the Old Testament, you can see this in Exodus and Leviticus, they took the initial portion of the harvest that was ripening and they brought it to the temple as an offering of thanksgiving and an offering of faith to God. Thanking God, recognizing that God gave them the harvest, and also thanking God for the harvest that they were going to gather and the harvest he was going to give them. It was called the, it was called the, the, the day of first fruits. And so Paul's using this language that there was, there's this initial experience happening to us that is going to lead us to an ultimate experience that is going to happen to us. The fir- we have received the first fruits of the Spirit. We who have grown inwardly as we, why? Why do we groan inwardly? Well, there's some groaning in life. Inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, the question is, are we, gonna, are we getting all of heaven now? Do, do we get the whole seven-course meal that God wants to bring us? And the, and the answer is no. Yeah, we're quiet now. You get a sampler. You get a sampler plate, but do you get the whole thing now? Now, I love sampler plates. I like it when I go to Applebee's that I go like once every three years. And uh, I like it. They got these sampler plates or some barbecue plates. And you get three wings and three ribs and three cheese sticks and some nachos. And, you know, I love sampler plates. But, a, a sam- but there's nothing. Let's just take you get three buffalo wings. Whippy. I like it when they bring me like a bowl of bones. I mean, this bones. Give me some meaty buffalo wings piled up. I'm a wing eater. I like sucking on the cartilage. I'm a real caveman. I chew on that thing and just get every piece, an ounce of protein in me. And talk it, it's wonderful. Things are coming out of my mouth and sauces are coming down my face. But there's just nothing that makes me feel more like a man than sucking on a wing. All right. So when I get a little sampler plate, it's a, it's a, it's a sample, but it ain't the full meal. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, tasting's good, but it's not the seven-course meal. So what God is doing, he's allowing us to enter in to the reality of a future age, to experience today heaven on earth. But at the same time, why we groan in that verse is we're eagerly waiting the full meal that's coming. Now, why is this so important, Bob, to us? Well, I think there's... And why does God give us a sampler? Let's just, let's just deal with that. Why does God give us a sampler? Well, one is that, that we would become the people God wants us to become. Because when he brings that sampler, the first thing he brings to you is a witness that you are a daughter and a child of God. There is this thing that rests in you. And what he's, gonna, what he's doing, he transforms you and he transforms me by the Spirit to become like him. 
If he's our dad, we're going to become like our dad. Amen? Right. Amen? And so he wants us to become what we are to become in the future age. He wants us to become that now. The second thing is this, is that he wants us to partner with him in penetrating places where Satan and sin and death and sickness is working to bring the kingdom to those places. We're kingdom bringers. That's what we are. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is here. Now he anoints us with the Spirit to declare the kingdom of heaven is here. And it's drawing even nearer the full manifestation of it to penetrate places of darkness until he comes and brings his final victory and establishes his full, complete kingdom. So we're, we, are, we are doing like D-Day. We're hitting the beach and we're moving through Europe, bringing the kingdom of God, using that analogy against you know, the forces of darkness bringing the kingdom of God. And it's exciting. Someone's testifying here just during a time uh, when we were greeting each other that she got radically touched by a word of knowledge. That someone had a particular condition and she got healed two weeks ago. Come on, we're bringing the works of darkness. Isaac was saying he prayed for that lady who was tormented with fear at Fred Myers because of all the negative news going on. Come on, we're here to bring the kingdom to people. And we do that through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Also, we're here to live life as citizens of heaven. Not as citizens of the United States or citizens of another country or citizens of the earth, but as people who actually belong in another citizenship. Did you know you have two, two citizenships? Some of you might be Canadian and American. You have two citizenships. I was talking to Debbie Wilk. Debbie uh, wrote it last night. She, uh, she's a both Brazilian citizen and a U.S. citizen. But we are U.S. citizens and heaven citizens. We have dual citizenship. If you have your Bibles, I'm just going to have you open to one verse today. And that is in Philippians chapter 3. If you'll turn there. And I want to start with verse 19 to 21. I'm going to read out the New Living Translation. I think it captures Paul's thought on this. The NLT without you emailing me that I'm being bad. Just don't email me. Except tell me how much you love me. Here we go. <laughs> Philippians 3.19. Paul's dealing with those who oppose the gospel, who are teaching a false gospel, who are adding to the gospel, opposing the gospel of grace. And Paul says this in verse 19. Their future is eternal destruction. You know, Paul didn't mince words, did he? Didn't say, you know, God loves them, he's going to coddle them. No, their future is eternal destruction. You know, it's interesting, Paul wasn't as concerned about the mode of preaching the gospel. He said, yeah, let the Christ is being preached, let's let it be preached. But he sure was concerned about the content of the gospel. And he says, their, their future is eternal destruction. Their God is their appetite. In other words, they live for sensual and temporal pleasures. That's their life is focused around you know, partying and eating and sex and satisfying myself and being first in line and I got to have that outfit and let's take that vacation even though we can't afford it. Let's just go, 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 live, live, live and, and uh, that's all my life's about. Well, that's their appetite. That's their God. They brag, they brag about shameful things and they all think about, all they think about is this life here on earth. But we... But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. How many people think it's good that we hang out where Jesus hangs out? Amen. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. 
He will take these weak mortal bodies of ours and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same mighty power that he will use to conquer everything everywhere. That's who we are. We're citizens of heaven who look for our Savior to come from heaven where he's going to give you and I new bodies to live eternal life. Now, you know, when you start studying this subject, I'm going to tell you what you do. You start reading the New Testament, it's everywhere. It's every chapter. It's every word. It's every last little statement. You can't dodge the bullet of this particular truth. Let's go on to what Paul said on this. And also, the last thing, we, this is important, is because it really gives us assurance, assurance that we will inherit eternal life. Assurance that we will receive everything God's promised to give us in the future in heaven. Notice this scripture. In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed. Or what does that mean? You were marked. There's a mark on you. That you belong to God. And that mark is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You were sealed, marked with the the promised Holy Spirit. Who is, notice this, the guarantee of our inheritance, the assurance of our inheritance, the deposit of our inheritance, that the full purchase is coming. It's it's a done deal until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So how do I know that there is a second coming coming? How do I know that one day I'll be raised from the dead? How do you know that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth? How do I know that, that, uh, you know that these things are true? Because you're experiencing it now by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's saying. That's powerful stuff. That's powerful stuff. Now, there are some... When we are to receive this Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes to be a part of our life, it's, it's not just so that we would have some little conviction or I just felt something in there. It's, I just kind of felt something here. The Holy Spirit is dynamic. When it comes, it comes with the dynamic intervention of heaven. And that the dynamic intervention of heaven comes manifestations, yes, like speaking in tongues or speaking in, in other languages supernaturally in prayer. Sometimes I just don't know what to pray. Have you found that true with yourself? Sometimes I just need to connect with heaven, just build my spirit up. So God gives us an ability to touch him immediately and miraculously. I don't know the mystery of how that happens. Somehow in my brain, my brain tells my tongue what to do. And the Holy Spirit touches my brain to tell my tongue what to do. And there's an expression that comes out of me. I so I've spoken in many different languages supernaturally, and I, I don't know how that's happened. I know that with that came all sorts of other stuff, like deep conviction, like the voice of God, like a, a desire to worship and just worship and worship. It just surges out of me, like boldness to share my faith, like all of a sudden I know what to do or I know a situation about somebody and I just have this thing that never was in me before. It just all comes upon me, an awareness of his nearness. It comes with this intervention of heaven, comes deliverance. We get set free. There was a church near where I grew up. They were, they were in a famous magazine called Look Magazine. How many of you builders and boomers remember Look Magazine? 
right on the cover of it, and there was this, you remember, it was temple, it was, was a Bethel temple or something like that in Redondo Beach, Patty, and uh, they had said that they had delivered 30,000 surfers and hippies from heroin. They called it the 32nd cure. Thousands of kids came to that place, thousands of kids where I lived, and just God, by the power of his spirit, just set them free. Come on, we have supernatural provision and supernatural direction and supernatural just the help of God. And we all have so many God stories of how God came and helped us in the, in the ninth inning. And right when we were backs for the wall, this, this great deliverance comes. And, and man, it just works out. We're experiencing, we're experiencing heaven. Now, some Christians teach that that those things, those manifestations were needed in the early church because we have not received what they call the canon of Scripture. The canon means it's a measuring stick. It's a, it was the standard by which they said what books were verifiable, the books were authentic that belonged into what we call the New Testament. Once we had, and until that was formalized, we needed these manifestations. But once we had the 27 books of the New Testament, we don't longer need that anymore. It's just the Bible. And we love the Bible, don't we? You know I teach the Bible. We love the Bible, the Word of God. It's, it's above his name. We're, every word is, every jot and tittle is going to come to pass, Jesus said. And, and so we, we believe that. But you know, they use the scripture out of 1 Corinthians 13. When that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with. Paul's dealing there with the second coming of Jesus and the eternal kingdom. And so they say the perfect is scriptures. Well, here's my problem the, with that argument, is that the perfect scriptures, which are perfect, tell me to passionately desire spiritual gifts, and especially that I prophesy. So what am I to do with that perfect law that you said? You said it's gone, but the perfect thing that you say is here is tells me to desire that thing. My other thing is, did God stop becoming compassionate? You know, it's great, you know, I, someone's dying in a hospital. I'm just going to give you a Bible. You just read it. It's going to make you feel good because you're heading to heaven right now. You're 31 years old. Is God not more compassionate than that? That he would show mercy and raise people up in the sickbed and, and touch people and, and, and just go for it? I, I ran into... Uh, one of the uh, pastors from MFI Brazil, his name is Pastor Luis, up in Canada Monday night. And uh, he's there for a conference. And Luis was just a young pastor, kind of a college-age church outside of Sao Paulo, Brazil. And he took a team of his college-age kids into a hospital. This happened about 10 years ago. And they went around praying for everybody in every room in this Brazilian hospital. By the time they finished, half the hospital checked out. Half the hospital. My friend, David Freck, who I'm preaching for in the end of October from Kansas, Kansas, Kansas City, and he, he just got back from Malawi where he said, Bob, we had 500 recorded miracles, blind eyes, deaf ears, people getting out of wheelchairs. I mean, 500. And David, I know David, he's a man of absolute integrity. He doesn't embellish. He's got the gift. He's paid for the gift. He's been in jail. He's been before firing squads. I mean, he lived the life of going after this thing. Come on, God loves people. And when he got arrested in India for all this, he said, Bob, it was like the book of Acts. It was like a blind eye child or a deaf child 
got their healing. And in a few seconds, because they were told not to preach, thousands just swarmed. And he said it was, everybody got healed. It was like the book of Acts for like 15 minutes. He said they were taking babies, and they were throwing their babies over the crowd to get to the front to get healed. That's because a mama is desperate for the mercy of God to come and deliver and to heal. Come on, God, God's still compassionate. And Jesus is, is, is compassionate in his heavenly priestly ministry as he was in his earthly ministry. We need to remember that. Amen. Amen. You get kind of caught up in these things. I do. For it's impossible. Hebrews 6. It was impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. And this is a big backsliding chapter that we all debate about. But what I like about this chapter, it really describes what it was like to be converted in the first century. Those who are once enlightened, who have, notice this, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word, the word of God, and the powers of the age to come. Heaven, here, because that's the age to come. You've tasted the reality of heaven. I remember after a Saturday night service, I was really burdened because there was a, a movement of people I really respected. I actually followed when I was first a Christian who the second generation, their, their children, almost all, not all, we have some of those, those young people in our, I mean, they're not young, they're adults now in our church doing great, just walked away from the faith. It was almost like a, the next generation, the whole generation just left the faith, except for a remnant. I was really broken about it. It, it bothered me deeply how that happened because I had such reverence and respect for the movement. And I got home on a Saturday night. Oh, that had to be like almost nine, ten years ago. And I forget, there was two or three of my daughters at the house. And I, I said, okay, I want to talk. Turn off the TV. I want to talk to you guys right now. I want to ask you a question. Why do you serve Jesus? And I remember Leslie, who was my analytical one, said, Dad, what's wrong with you? You, you, you never act like this. You never talk like this. And I just want to know. Survey time. You tell me why you serve Jesus. And every one of them said like this. It's really simple. We've experienced too much of the Holy Spirit in our life to ever doubt and to ever turn the other way. We've seen too much. We've experienced too much. It's been too much of a reality that we've tasted it, we've handled it, we've experienced it, and, and Dad, that's, that's why. I mean, Leslie was laying out at the age of six under the Holy Spirit. She spoke in other languages at six years old, laid out. I remember watching as a father, like, what God's like doing an operation on my child, and, and she just had a bent towards the Holy Spirit. Annalise is here today. She's out with, with the kids somewhere doing something, but she was at a wedding in Idaho as a little flower girl, and the Spirit of God in Sandpoint, Idaho, at the age of eight, just fell on her. The next summer, I was doing a youth camp in the Rocky Mountains in Montana, and I got done preaching, and I was back in the back, I was putting my Bible away or something. The next thing I know, I look back, and there's my nine-year-old daughter standing in front of a teenage youth camp, giving them a prophecy. So where did that come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. And so there is something we, we need to understand that 
that we've tasted the powers of the age to come. Now, I want to talk to you just briefly about the Apostles' Creed. I, I, I became fascinated with this this week. I knew when I was doing this sermon, there's no way I'm going to finish this sermon today, but that's okay because this, this thing has so caught me. And I may just come back with part two next week and kind of off the schedule, but, but, but we've got to grab a hold of this thing to understand the big picture of the Holy Spirit. The Apostles' Creed, first, let's just let me say, a, a creed is a public statement of faith. It is, is what we, it's what we believe. Now, it's the Apostles' Creed, not necessarily because the Apostles wrote it. Now, there's a tradition, it's just a tradition, that each of the 12 contributed a part to this creed. There's no way to substantiate that. But what we do know, that this particular creed, and the earliest record we have of it, someone using this term with this document that we call the creed, comes at 390, or the, just the latter part of the 4th century, by a man, an early church father, by the name of Ambrose, and he uses this particular term. But we know that it came from an earlier document, document called, basically it was called the, the, the Roman symbol or the Roman creed. And we know that goes all the way back to the early 2nd century, because we know two church fathers who quoted it from that century. So it was around. It was basically, they, it, was, it was tied to what they called the rule of faith. You've got to understand, the early church didn't have a formalized New Testament. We, need, we first need to understand that. You might be one of those Christians, it's just, I, that's God's word, I believe it. That settles it. But the New Testament just didn't come to you overnight. It had to be tested, analyzed, and accepted with tremendous integrity to receive that these were the actual letters. And so they relied on tradition and succession to hold that together. So it was the scriptures that were being circulated around and not formalized, and it was the things the apostles taught that were, that were passed on to maybe two generations that they said to us that we need to actually keep this thing. And out of that came the old Roman creed, which came the apostles' creed. This is where this came from. What I'm fascinated about this creed is that one of the things it states is about the second coming of Jesus. Now, when I was a Catholic boy, anybody grew up Catholic here? Raise your hand. All right, a few of us here. We used to quote this every Sunday in Mass without any faith, with a deadbeat, you know, confession, but we said it. Uh, I believe in God, blah, 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 blah. Get it done. <laughs> this is, this is, the, this is the, the essence of what the early church grabbed a hold of into our feet. I want the and I'd like us to stand to our feet. I want the worship team to come on up here. And I, wanna, I want us to be good liturgical people here today. Some of you from an Episcopalian or Anglican background. Some of you from a Lutheran background. I know the Methodists and the Presbyterians practice this too, but I don't know if it's every Sunday. This is good for us to make it as a public statement of faith. Because this is what's been handed to us. Christianity is inspirational, but Christianity is also historical. And that a historical event of real human witnesses have been, and the truth of what they witnessed has been handed down to you and been handed down to me. My passion as a pastor and why I'm on this series is that we would handle that 
with great care and great reverence and great humility that we've been handed something to carry on in our race. And that we would become heavenly citizens. That we would live like heavenly citizens. We wouldn't live for the appetites of this world. We wouldn't live for um, just pleasure or things or vacations or boats or houses or clothes or fashion or even fitness. Not that we shouldn't be stewards of our money and stewards of our body, but we don't live for those things. We live for heaven. We, we belong and we long. And that we would live that. I want us to be able to say with the Apostle Paul that he said to the Philippians, I'd rather be in heaven, but for your sake I need to be here. I don't know if I've ever been able to say that. Did I love Jesus that much? Did I say, you know, I'm here, but I'd rather be there. I don't think Paul was morbid or suicidal or depressed. He was in love with the reality of Jesus that he was experiencing through the Holy Spirit. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Well, us to be heaven-bent, have eternity on our eyelids and this is what's driven me on this series. I want a church on fire. I want to be on fire. Let's, let's quote this creed. It's on three slides, so just read it with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ and born of the our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended, oops, excuse me, he descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, uh, by the way, that's universal. <laughs> the commitment, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. This is our faith. This is our faith. This is what was given to us. And it was not just given to us casually. It was given by people shedding blood, was people laying in prisons, by people who suffered loss of everything they had to give us the truth of this event, that we might live in the reality of that. I want us, I'd like if you could just hang with us just a few minutes here. I want us just to get touched by the fire of the Holy Spirit.